Can I pray really quickly? There's never too, too much prayer in the church. So Lord, I just thank you for tonight. Thank you for what you're doing. Lord, I ask that you bless this message. Bless me as I bring this message. And Brother, I ask that every heart will be open, every ear will be attentive, and that you use me, your servant, to bring forth your word tonight. In your amazing name, come on, all God's people said tonight. Amen. Awesome. Well, September 9th, 1965, in the midst of the Vietnam War, a man by the name of Commander James Stockdale had his jet shot down in North Korea, North, North Vietnam, and he was taken as a prisoner of war to the infamous Hanoi Hilton for the next seven and a half years. And as a senior officer, he was routinely tortured, and he was denied medical attention. He was put in a cell that was three feet by nine feet. Say three feet by nine feet. Let's try that. Say three feet by nine feet. When he finally made it out of this prison, he, uh, he was asked this question. He was asked, how did you hold on for seven and a half years of brutality? This is what he said. This is how he answered. He said, that's easy. You must never confuse the faith that you will prevail in the end. You must never confuse the faith that you'll prevail in the end. Listen, as we're getting started tonight, I wanted to take a moment to just pause here for a second because I feel like there might be one or two or 20 people who need to hear this tonight. Don't lose hope that at the end you're going to prevail, that you're going to come out on top. Listen, I understand that the last 20 months, the last two years might have been hard. Some of you might have lost loved ones. Some of you might have lost friends. Others might have lost jobs. Some people might have been dealing with sicknesses, and it's been a season where it's been so hard for us to actually see past the horizon. But don't lose hope tonight that you will come out on top. Listen, I could talk about this portion all night long, but we're going to flip it for a moment. We're going to talk about those who are in three-foot by nine-foot cells. You might be asking me the question, what's a three foot, who, who, who is he talking to when he says three foot by nine foot? Well, three feet by nine feet are those who the last two years seem like it's absolutely caved in on you. Three feet by nine feet are those who you watched your entire family go through the thick of it. Three feet by nine feet are those who you've been so scared about the future and what might happen tomorrow that you just don't want to go to sleep because you're afraid of what tomorrow Brings. If that's been you this last two years, if that's been you today, this message is for you. We're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 42. This is what the psalmist writes. He says this. He says, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And he asks a question. He says, when will I appear before God? He says, as the deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. As I was praying about this message and praying through this text, I began to see something that I hadn't seen before in this portion of Scripture. See, typically when we talk about this passage of Scripture, we normally apply it to, like, to being so hungry for God. Being like, I want more of God, but... As I was looking at this and as I was praying about this, I began to recognize that this deer is panting for water. 
which means that this deer has gone from one place to look for water and it hadn't found it. And goes to another place to find some water and hadn't found it. And goes to another place to find water and hadn't found it. And it got to the point where this deer is panting. It's so thirsty for water and the psalmist is using this as a description on how they feel with their relationship with God. He's saying this, he says, I've gone, I've done everything right. I've been searching for God, I've been looking for God. And I cannot, at this moment, I can't find him. I feel dry, I feel empty. And it's been going on for so long now that I feel like I'm without hope. And I think if we look over the last two years, we might find one or two or a few more people that are feeling like this and in this place than we might have recognized before. There are people who might be here tonight, you're living in the midst of spiritual frustration and you feel like you've hit rock bottom and you've cried out to God and it's silence. It's as if when Isaiah pictures it this way, he says, the heavens are like brass. I'm in a spiritual crisis and I cry out to God and it's like my prayers go up to him and they come right back down to me unanswered. So the psalmist says this, he says that my soul thirsts for God. He's in a spiritual crisis. And he goes on and he says that my tears have been my food day and night. And I feel like there might be some people who, their tears, they've been in such an emotional mess that they're, they're, they've, they would literally go to bed and there's nothing else you can do. You're emotionally spent and all you do is cry. He's in an emotional crisis. And then people would turn around and they look at him and, and they ask this question, seeing everything that they're going through, they're asked, they ask, where is your God. For people around him to recognize what's going on to them, on with him, it makes me believe that he's in the midst of a physical crisis. He's in a spiritual crisis, he's in an emotional crisis, and he's in a, in a physical crisis. Now, I think that the psalmist gave us an order of importance, but I don't necessarily think that this is the order of occurrence. Hold on, hold with me for a moment. When I was growing up, there was uh, this, this young man, he was going to be a football star. He had a full-ride scholarship to a, uni a university in Florida. And as he was driving to school one day, he hit some black ice, and his car spun out. He hit the side of a curb. The people that were with him in the car, they were okay. In fact, he pretty much only had a scratch on him. But as his friends started walking around the car, they began to realize that he couldn't move. In fact, he was paralyzed. His dreams of playing football were gone. He was in a physical crisis, which then led to an emotional crisis with him and his family, trying to figure out what this looks like for them going forward. And that leads to a spiritual crisis within their life. They begin to ask the question, why God? Why is this happening to us? Why now? Over the last two years, I wonder how many people might, might be in the midst of that. You might have seen mom and dad get laid off, or mom or dad, or maybe you yourself might have lost a job. And you've been living, before that, you were living like financially to the limit, week by week, month by month. Now you're trying to figure out what things look like. Now you're tossing and turning, trying to figure out how to make ends meet. Your physical crisis has now led you to an emotional crisis. Now you're calling out to God in the midst of that time, and you're like, God, would you please help me? Would you please help provide? 
You're now in a spiritual crisis. Physical crises lead to emotional crises, which lead to spiritual crises. And it's, it's in these times of seemingly quiet and, frustratingly, and a frustrating silence that the enemy tries to jump in there and begin to create distance between us and God through anger and resentment. And he want to, what he wants to do is he wants to take that, that little piece of anger, that questioning that you might have going on, and he wants to take that, take that and create a foothold so that he can make a stronghold in your life. You're like, a foot what? A strong what? Let me explain for a moment. How many people have brothers and sisters that are older than you? Now, I got an older brother. Now, this is what I would do when we were growing up. I would stand in his doorway. And he'd look at me. He's like, Taylor, get out of my room. And I would respond, I'm not in your room. I'm in your doorway. <laughs> and he's like, get out of my room. I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. I am in the doorway. I am not in your room. This is part of mom and dad's house, not yours. And then he'd be like, all right, just don't bug me. Don't come in, in the room. And I would wait for the opportune moment. This is what I would do. He'd be doing his work. He'd be reading a book. He'd be texting his, I don't know, his girlfriend or a friend. And I'd run in and I'd flip his book off. I'd knock off his hat, pull out his earphones. I'd do something. And then the chase ensues. Anyone know what the chase I'm talking about is? You just mess with them to the point where they're so mad they just want to come after you. This is what I would do. And so I'm, I would do it and I'm gone. I'm running as fast as I can around the house. And then I'd run back up to my room. And as fast as I can, I would try to close the door. And sometimes it would work and sometimes it wouldn't. And sometimes what would happen is he would get his foot in the door. Now my brother's got a foothold. Next thing you know, he's wedging his body between the door and the door frame. And before I know it, I'm pinned against the wall. He's now, that foothold has now turned to a stronghold. Listen, with, with everything that's been going on, the enemy with, with questions and concerns and anger, he wants to take a little bit of a foothold and turn that into a stronghold. Now, what I find so beautiful about this passage is that this person is going through the thick of it and he's still able to keep his heart pure towards God. He says this, he says, these things I remember and I pour out my soul within me. Again, listen, I know it's been a difficult 20 months. It's felt like 20 years and it seems like it's never ending. But could I challenge you tonight to remember how God has been good to you through the years? The psalmist says this in a place of crisis. He says, these things I will remember. So the question is, what do we do? How do we respond? Well, number one tonight is this. It's, it's, we need to remember what God has done. Say this with me. Say, remember what God has done. Let's try that again. Say, remember what God has done. See, See, typically we have this tendency to forget the good in which God has done in our lives in the midst of our hard times. It's in, time, it's in times of our lives where we can't really see how God is moving. We can't hear what God is saying. And sometimes we feel so disconnected from God that we forget what God has done in our lives. I don't know about you, this is how I feel sometimes. And we, what we start to do is that in these times we begin to come to conclusions about God. And this is where the spiritual crisis begins to come into play. 
It's the reason why, uh, the reason why is because in the midst of our pain and our frustration, we, begin, we, we get so focused on what, God, what, what is happening right now that we lose sight of what God did in the past. Let me ask you the question, what has God done in your life? Do you remember when you were so desperate for a job and God came through? Do you remember when, when you needed to pass that test and you didn't study and God came through in the clutch? Do you remember when your child was so sick and you prayed for them before they went to bed and they woke up completely well? Do you remember? Listen, God's footsteps of grace yesterday gives us strength for today, what that means is that us remembering what God did yesterday in the midst of a painful season it gives us strength to continue on through today's trials. So number one, we need to remember what God has done. Number two, we need to remember what I have done. Say, so I need to remember what I have done. What I find so amazing is what this person describes as remembering. He says this, he says, I remember leading worship in the house of God. That's Taylor's translation. But he says, I remember leading worship in the house of God. Listen, don't let this disqualify you if you're not a worship leader. Worship is so much greater than having a mic and leading worship in church. Worship is allowing God to be honored through our lives. It's allowing God to receive praise from my life. Or in other words, it's intentionally living a life in which Jesus is honored. Which means that coming to a night like this, coming to a night of worship is definitely part of worship. But so is going to school or going to work. So is how I treat my family or my boyfriend or my girlfriend. So is how I use the finances that God has given me. And so is taking a walk and connecting with God. It's all about our heart posture during these things. The question that we should be asking is, am I actively seeking to put God first in these things? If we are, and that's how we worship God through these activities. This is what uh, Douglas Moose says. He says, worship is not merely or even mainly what we do on Sunday morning. Worship is a 24-7 matter. We worship God when we give ourselves to him in service. We worship God when we show love to others, when we do our jobs faithfully and with integrity, when we play with our kids and nurture our families. God wants us always to be bringing glory to him. Catch this, by the way we live. Now here's the challenge. The enemy wants to create space between you and God through your pain. But how have you connected with God through worship? How did you connect with God when life was a little bit easier than it might be now? What were the things that you regularly did which helped you connect with God? Do those things. Point number three tonight is this. I don't have a point number three for you. Young adults, Tuesday night, 7 p.m. at Bridge Lane Campus, we're going to be doing talking about point number three. Youth, what we're going to be doing is on Wednesday night, we'll be continuing on with our series on intimacy or uh, identity with God, what our identity is with God. But as we close, there's a man by the name of George Foreman. Say, George Foreman. 
He's known for many different things. He's known as for boxing. He's known as a pitchman. He's known as a grill guru. He's a television celebrity. But one thing that he's also known for, which I find really interesting, is he named all five of his sons after him. That's right. George one, George two, George three, George four, George five. Can you imagine how confusing that whole house was? Hey, hey George, come here. Which one? And when he gets asked about this, like, like why he named his five kids after him, he typically responds with, remember he was a boxer, he says, if you've been hit as many times as I have, you need to make life as simple as possible. <laughs> but when, you get pre- when, he, when he would get pressed, he normally begins to say something like this. He says, because remember, he, he grew up without a father. And he says, I want my kids to know who their dad is. Listen, tonight, we know who our Heavenly Father is. And I understand that this last year might have been the most difficult year that you have ever experienced in your life. But let me challenge you tonight to remember. Remember what God has done in your life. Remember how he saved you, how he changed you, how he healed you, how he transformed you. Remember how you had connected with God in the past, how You used to be first in church, how you used to wake up early just to connect with God, go on walks with God, how you used to connect with God through serving. And this worship team's gonna turn around, they're they're, they're gonna sing this song about us getting closer to God. And if you know the song or you don't know the song, I encourage you to take a moment and just stay seated. And we have three prayers that we would like you to pray during this song. Encourage you to pray a prayer and reflect. If you brought a journal or you brought, brought maybe your phone, maybe you need to write some things down in your phone. The first prayer is this, Jesus, help me to remember what you did in my life that I might be forgetting. Prayer number two is this, Jesus, help me to remember what I did with you when life was easier than it might be right now. And prayer number three is, Jesus, help me to be more sensitive to your voice throughout the day. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. Father, I thank you for what you're doing in this place. Lord, I thank you for for that in the midst of even sometimes difficult times, that you're still there. Lord, that you are right next to us. So God, tonight I pray for each person that is here, for each person who is watching online, that you would help us to remember what you've done. And that in in remembering that it will give us the strength for tomorrow. And that in that, we would begin to grow closer to you in your amazing name. Amen.